0: This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I'm your host, Lores and with me tonight is co-host Hans. How are you doing? There's many of you tonight.
1: Hi. Yeah, I got a bunch of my brothers to join me. Just a bold uh, delegation of Asians.
0: And uh, uh, we have special guest star, Jerry. Jerry, I haven't seen you in what thirty episodes now,
2: Jerry. We uh, we haven't talked in ages, Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, um, I guess I'm not welcome on the show, even though probably uh, it's a few episodes separated, but you guys recorded an episode yesterday that you asked me to be on also, so I did prep work.
1: Oh, shit. I forgot, I forgot I forgot
0: we invited you onto that show, <laughs> You. I'm so sorry. I, I literally just I remembered right, read right read now. Like,
2: seven films, like, a dozen fucking video essays... I'm reading old articles and shit and getting facts, and oh, I was just, I was so prepared.
1: Let's talk about that instead.
2: Jared, Jared was better
1: prepared than me to do that episode. Hans had nothing to say on the episode. Hans
0: was so bashful <laughs> for lying. the
1: entire 90 minutes. <laughs> I'm completely <laughs> lying.
0: Well, we are going to be talking about a... What is this, Hong Kong or China? This is a Hong Kong. It's, it's very controversial. If you say China then people will be very upset at you. We're talking about the 2018 film from Ding Shen, A Better Tomorrow, which came at your recommendation, Jerry.
2: Yeah, I actually initially was a super big fan of this film probably like 10 or 15 years ago. It was one of those go-to get drunk and watch a a dramatic (laughs) Like a dramatic film, and cry to yourself because it's super sad. And it's weird because it's a John Woo film, but it is like a it's a drama.
0: What this is? No, this is a 2018 Ding Shen film, A oh, Better Tomorrow.
2: I actually didn't even hear you say Ding Shen. I for some I... reason. I, just I went, did,
1: okay. and I was like, oh, no, not again. I watched the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I was trying to throw Hans off here. I was glad you just went with it and didn't acknowledge that to
1: maybe worry I, him a little bit more.
2: I had but no if reaction. You,
1: if you watch the video, you'll see exactly where my face goes. Oh, shit.
2: <laughs> Start, <Google. laughs> Start Googling what the
1: other movie is. <laughs>
0: no, we are talking about the 1986 John Woo film. A Better Tomorrow, which spawned a franchise, and there's now, I, you know, I just found out about this remake, it is a remake, uh, from 2018, that they had uh, peddled
2: out, and apparently you weren't aware of it either, Jerry. No, no, I didn't know about it until actually just a few hours ago. I was not familiar with it at all. Well, it sounds like a bad idea. Yeah, I,
0: I don't know. Uh, did you see
2: the sequels? Did you see A Better Tomorrow 2 or Part 3? I did see A Better Tomorrow 2. I, di- I didn't see 3. Uh, I don't think John even made 3, did he?
0: So th- the story on A Better Tomorrow 3 was he had a collaborator who he would write the scripts with. And they both agreed upon one idea where it's going to be a prequel to both of the films. And it's going to take place at the end of the Vietnam War but they had fundamental disagreements about how that story should go. And so what wound up happening was the screenwriter of A Better Tomorrow 1, 2, and 3 wound up directing that third installment, and John Woo directed his version of the film without any of the stars from the previous movies or or any connection to A Better Tomorrow 1 or 2. So he just fundamentally removed his script from that film and... uh, added new characters, did his own thing, and these movies were released roughly a year apart. His flopped. A Better Tomorrow 3 wound up doing fairly well, I believe, at the box office.
1: His version, what was it called?
0: The movie in the Better Tomorrow series is called Love and Death in Saigon, and John Woo's version was called Bullet in the Head. And this movie did not do well. It did not have any real stars in it from what I can recognize. One of my favorite things about this movie, A Better Tomorrow, is that it it launched the career of Chow Young fat and it was not really intended to. He's kind of a... I was very confused watching this movie, so I was like, all right, he's the cool guy. He's obviously the star of this movie. He's burning the dollar bill and lighting his cigarette with that. Uh, but he's just a... He's, he's a background... I mean, he's not a background character. He's a supporting character. He's not the lead guy. The lead guy actually has a terrible hairline. And you stay with him throughout <sighs> oh. both the first movie and the second movie. And well, I think that uh, was that was a very poor actor, choice.
2: The main actor is Chi Lung. And he's actually known for uh, Chinese historical films. So like Kung Fu films, histor- his, uh, historical films, things like that in China. And that would have been hong kong at the time that would have been the huge draw to get that in you know what's effectively kind of one of your earlier not, not john would had done some other stuff but uh when you're not already a giant well-known d- director um getting a guy like chi lung would have been fucking killer to add on top of that he had uh leslie chung who plays kit is like a, a Chinese pop star at the time. It was one of the biggest pop stars in the country. So on paper, the main character and the main character's brother are huge celebrities in Hong Kong and they should be the main draws for it. But what ends up happening is Chow Yun-fat's character is an absolute fucking badass in the first half of the film and that just means that, and that that's the guy that steals the show.
0: What made you decide upon this movie specifically? I'm, I'm going to assume you had uh, some fondness for it beforehand. It was one of the few big Asian late eighties, early nineties films that I probably haven't seen. I'm not too well versed on Chinese cinema specifically. What was it about a better tomorrow for you?
2: Uh, well, we had been talking about uh, gr gritty New York crime and sort of the depth of it. We had had a number of conversations about it yeah. and I'd come across a couple of Hong Kong films. I was watching a Sam o. Hung film. It's more of a, a comedy. And I just got into this like deep Cantonese hole. And out of the maybe five or six films I watched over a couple of days, it was the it was a better tomorrow that really stood out. Like it, it just has so much that you would want in a modern action drama um just packed into this like really Grimmy, gr- excuse me, Well I'm going to stutter a whole bunch. You know what? Let's just end it right there. It's cool. It's
0: a cool movie. You you heard it yourself. Jerry got deep in Cantonese hole. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the only uh, other 80s, I mean, aside from like Wong car Wai, I got uh, into Police Story 1 and 2 earlier this year on the Criterion app, which I otherwise had no real interest in checking out, and it was such a fun experience seeing Jackie Chan's direction and his choreography with the fighting and just see, seeing how how real everything was and the effort that was put into it. And, uh, you know, th- this film, by comparison, obviously it's different subject matters entirely, but you do have the crime element there. This one feels much more like a soap opera as opposed to like a wacky comedy, although they do try to like ape off that a bit with some of the... Background characters of the movie, where they'll throw in like random st- uh, slapstick moments, somebody walking into a door or whatever. It feels very inspired by Jackie Chan in that, right?
1: Now, I I wanted to ask something, uh, or Jerry, something because he's more familiar with this type of movies than me. I I haven't really seen many uh, older Asian martial arts movies, but is 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 there a thing of? Uh, because I I found the acting to be very anime like, very reactive, very theatrical, I guess. Uh, and I'm wondering if if that's a thing of of the time, like uh, the old acting from the 50s in American movies, you know, with the, with those voices that they sounded different and they acted differently because of theater. Does that have anything to do with the way they acted here, or is that just regular acting where? they react like in an in an anime where, uh you know, every reaction is exaggerated or it's very enunciated how they do it.
2: So I'm not completely familiar with, like, the names of every a- acting style or acting style, like, lore, but I'm fairly certain that Chinese cinema has its own acting style and that sort of um, embellished and dramatic and histrionics, if you will is right. is a super part uh, of of like every film especially in this kind of 10 year period from the early 80s on into the very first couple of years of the 90s hong kong cinema and that same thing continues it's actually maybe even worse with the older actors in a lot of stuff uh, particularly a better tomorrow 2 there's a man in that film who plays uncle lung and he's a an older guy, probably in his sixties and his art, his whole arc's kind of dumb. And the acting is really over the top and it actually makes every scene he's in kind of bad or hilarious, even though they're supposed to be sad. So yeah, it is sort of a trend.
0: One of the things that I like about this movie series, especially is because they weren't banking on Chow Young fat, becoming this breakout star, they kill him off at the end. He dies. He's one of the the few main characters to die, and then they just bring him right back for the for the next movie. <laughs> he has a twin brother in New York, which oh, is great. But this is this is the only series to date. That's my favorite thing. That's my favorite thing when they do. Oh, he actually had a twin brother. Nobody knew about. Never mentioned before. But he has a twin brother here. Um, they do. Th- this is the only movie series that I can recall that does this, where they have him play a specific character. I think his name is Ho, and um, he plays Ho in that first movie, and then he plays Luke, Ho's brother, in that second movie, and then in the third movie, he goes back to playing Ho again.
2: So <laughs> ho, ho, Mark. Ho, ho, yeah. Mark?
1: Mark. Guy Sorry, the, Mark. The Vegeta mullet. Yes. yes. So it's like a Vegeta front and the mullet in the back, Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, he play, he plays Mark in the first movie and then Mark's brother in the second movie. And in the second movie, the introduction scene is some, some like, hooligan showing up to his restaurant. And an American dude yells, this fried rice stinks! And it's a really hardcore ADR. So yeah. it, it's, like, louder than the actual audio from the rest of the film. And then he just throws it and everybody starts like, – at that moment I was fucking hysterical laughing. It was one of the funniest scenes. And then Chalian Fat throwing rice at his own face. You talk shit about my rice. You don't like my rice.
0: Yeah, picking it bizarre. up off the floor. It is a very <laughs> weird scene. See, I, I didn't watch the uh, you know regular version of A Better Tomorrow 2. I watched the, the Spanish dubbed version that was on YouTube that had no English subtitles. So I was just following along that way. But I did notice with the first movie, at least <laughs> 85% of the film, is very obviously ADR. Yeah. Maybe maybe only about 15% of it is actual. You think so?
1: Yeah, I I couldn't... I I can't remember any part that wasn't. Everything... They they had clearly Russian or Polish
0: actors who couldn't speak English and just, like, cheery anime American voices over them for for one of the opening scenes for the counterfeiting.
2: I I have a question, though. Did you actually search to make sure you were watching one that was in Cantonese with English subtitles because I found a number of them that were in, there was one that was in Vietnamese with English subtitles. And I mean, if you don't speak those languages
1: yeah. th-
2: and you're just looking at the mouth, you're just like, yeah, this is fine. So it would all be ADR, right? Cause it is dubbed over. Um, I found one, it, I, I don't, I did not have this uh, whole ADR problem that you're, that you're you're just discussing maybe i'm wrong but i didn't i didn't recall as much adr in the first that could
0: be that could easily be the the reason for that i'm not i'm not so certain to be honest with you now
2: but now that i've brought it up you're you're questioning the one because that happened to me i watched about 10 minutes and then i realized um a loss of a syllable or something like that there was a missed beat in the mouth versus the audio i'm like wait this isn't correct and as soon as i switched it it was dead on correct. And I, ah. it was obviously the right language. So you might have grabbed the wrong one. It sounds like it. Hans, what were you going to say?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't think it was bad. Like, it didn't really take me out of the movie because most of the European movies that you watch from that period of time especially Italian ones they use a lot of ADR so it, right. it's kind of what you would expect so it didn't really take me out of it but I did realize that or maybe it's just the way their mouths speak yeah, the, the, their mouth move it's not the same as what you hear because we're used to I guess American or Spanish uh, for me so it did seem a little bit off but I, I was expecting the ADR anyway just because in that time that was so Easier, so much easier to do than you know, bringing the big all equipment into every room. Right. Uh, so it, it didn't really take me out of it, but I did notice that at, at the same time, probably Jerry was probably right because he just sounded Asian to me, so I, I couldn't <laughs> tell the
2: difference. Well, between, there's you know. there's also that thing where if you've watched Jackie Chan films growing up, a lot of those were completely dubbed over in English with a couple of the same actors doing their own uh, uh, ADR and their own lines and stuff. So we're probably used to going into those films expecting it. It would be nearly impossible to know the difference adding in the the language barrier. But what I I wanted to get at about this before we get too far off was that the comparison between what A Better Tomorrow is and A Better Tomorrow too, like how you would uh, describe these films, is I would say A Better Tomorrow is a drama with some action. It has action uh, uh, trickled here and there, and it's mostly about the Relationship going on between the brothers and you know, their the background that's being you know kind of uh, explained early on, and then the relationship between Mark and uh, fucking oh. Ho. Ho, yeah and Ho. Ho, um, where a better tomorrow two, it's not as well structured, so it's probably best to just say it's an action film. It's mostly pretty much about like a it's like a revenge action film. The real storyline might be dramatic, but it it is second fiddle to people getting shot constantly. There's more gunfights in the first half hour or 40 minutes of A Better Tomorrow 2 than the whole of A Better Tomorrow. And like dozens of people die even in one scene.
0: Yeah. It's definitely amped up compared to the first in the, I guess, what would be considered more like commercially beneficial ways, especially of that time in and the Hong Kong or or China market for film. I, I just wanted to get back on the ADR real quick because it's kind of an interesting point you raise where you come to expect movies from the 70s or that period to come equipped with heavy ADR. And I think there is a, a difference to be made between having obvious ADR and that not necessarily being a bad thing. I think you can actually have very interesting and cool sound design even if the voices are very clearly recorded in post something like uh, any of William Friedkin's films or Warner Brothers films from that 1970s period, uh, I, I would say are good examples of that where maybe, you know, you can you can tell that there's something just a little bit off about the delivery, but everything in general sounds so distinct for that time and uh, well-placed in the movie, you know, that it's, it's not a negative thing. Although I would say in something like uh, the Italian horror films, the voice actors that they would get for those movies are are not to the yeah. benefit of the movie
2: mm-hmm. we've discussed before the um the one single Russian narrator or the one single Russian uh, right. voiceover guy that he he translates movies from English into russian it 's just one dude for every single film that would go into the Soviet Union and he died, and another dude like replaced him so if you get any of these films. Maybe like circa uh, 1978, 1979, 1980, and you're listening to him. It might be a woman speaking to a man, and she's, And it goes yeah. to the other guy, and he's like, And it's, it's the, the exact same, same voice. The same guy. <laughs> That's my uh, why. Why don't they just do subtitles? I don't understand. Fuck reading. Why? Well, that, <laughs> Uh so actually probably genuinely probably an issue with literacy and different dialects with when you talk about like how big the Soviet Union was. Um so yeah, I guess it's so like
1: big. it, it would be like what they do with Latin America where they when they dub something for Latin America, they don't pick a specific accent or a specific country. They just do one that kind of sounds like all of them. So that they use words that nobody uses in – that they use maybe in one country, but they use it just so that it covers everything. So it's yeah. probably similar to that, yeah. Yeah, effectively.
0: Uh, what would now, you say – do you think
1: – Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Do you think the second one uh, is more of an action movie because that's – like, the, the, you, you said that the, the first one, uh Tomorrow 1, was where John Woo – or, like, what gave him his – not his. I don't know if it's his start, but like a little bit of fame, or like got his name out there. Was this his uh, first and, movie?
2: No, no, not at all. Oh,
1: okay. So uh, had he had he already developed his like action style, or the way of shooting no. action? By no, him? no. This okay. this
2: was like the first kind of. Uh, almost, let's say, gory, right? Because instead of just somebody getting shot, they had really good squibs when you see people get shot. And when Chow Yun-Fat gets shot in the leg early on, that's a really good leg shot. I loved that. Uh, So, no, this is like the first taste of what John Woo will eventually become. There is some very,
0: very interestingly done violence in this movie, especially where Mark is getting his ass beat on that rooftop. There's some cool sequences and styles and also when the home intruder goes in to assassinate uh the father of ho and you know his brother i also noticed there was a there was a lot a whole lot of blue in that in that room in that house i kept counting all the blue objects the blue carpet the blue curtains the blue shirt the blue telephone everything everything almost everything was blue in that
2: that place well, that that's a thing that I think people kind of miss about the Hong Kong uh, uh, films from the 80s going into the early 90s is, for some reason, there's really strong attention to moments of this aesthetic. It might not carry through the whole film, but you will get those moments of, yeah, let's say John Woo uh, lighting his cigarette, not John Woo, Chow Yun Fat lighting his cigarette with the money. Um, the scenes from *A Better Tomorrow* 2 of standing out in the docks, or like different poses and postures that people might have, and lighting—that is just a few moments that I think it, uh, people miss. Where then you have, let's just use for example, a film like *Driver* that is, or uh, excuse me, *Drive* that is filled with these cinematic moments constantly pushed everywhere, and we, you know, we all really like that film, but it's something that you can find in these. Really gritty Hong Kong films from 30, 40 years ago, all over the place, but you sparingly.
1: All right. What I was going to say about that, uh, his style developing, that it makes sense that the whole movie, they just ramped up the action a lot just because his style is so unique, the way he shoots action, or at least for that time, I'm, it's been copied to death in the States. And I think there was like a, a period of, what was it, 90s, early 90s, where a lot of movies would use like the the um, gun camera shot that he uses and the slow motion and all that. So it's been copied to death. But it makes sense that just because of monetary reasons, they would bring out the popular character that they killed in the first one and then just ramp up the action, which was, I guess, one of the most attractive things about the first one.
2: Yeah. It's a real American uh, action film approach is what it feels like. What I noticed was what, what it made me think about is
0: the fact that they got that sequel out literally the next year. Mm-hmm. And it's so rare nowadays that you have that happen with any film. I think the Saw films or the Paranormal Activity films were probably the last ones where you really had like a good annual sequel to that first movie. Were, th- were those a year apart? I feel like those were those were at least like two or three years apart. It was just the same film over and over though. And also, this was John Woo's 18th film, so oh wow, very accomplished director to that point. But I do feel like A Better Tomorrow to about, what, Hard Boiled, which I saw you post about recently, Jerry. That's one I I, I haven't seen in a long time. That (laughs) probably marks like the definitive John Woo texture for for Mm -hmm. that period before he goes to Hollywood and does movies like Face Off and Mission Impossible 2 and Paycheck.
2: Well, even, so, there's Hero Shed No Tears, which, uh, it, it is probably the uh, the actual real start to that, uh, like, just bullet frenzy that John Woo kind of gets known for, and the absurdity. But you can see where his style, early on, focused on the dramatic elements, and Eventually, that sort of, I guess, like rat race mentality and uh, like corporate servitude sets in because there's no real reason for a better tomorrow two to be made at all. And you can tell if a dude wrote and directed that film, he wrote and directed it to end right there. He didn't have a plan for a second film. And and to me, like when we were saying, yeah, they added action and brought back the main character. It's sort of gives you a good like a a good example of how quickly the industry can really take something that is creative and original and fuck it over if they they did it in china in effectively a year it, just a, a year's time they took the same property and took out all of the stuff that like i would say was the good stuff and filled it with the stuff that was just okay and that's that's a guy you know with some pretty good street cred in the business at the time
0: yeah it's very clearly just money-driven that sequel and also i i I mean i'm I'm gonna assume the third one i haven't seen anything from the third one uh but it it at least does something interesting in changing the setting in the general plot uh hans you know what did you ultimately think of a better tomorrow
1: i i enjoyed that uh like I'm not a huge anime fan, but I always think it's funny to see that type of acting with real people. Uh, so that I, are you sure you're I not just thinking out. this
0: because Chow Young Fat plays Master Roshi in, in Dragon Ball no. Evolution? That's what his <laughs> career leads to.
1: <laughs> no, uh, I I found the extras really entertaining because it's just like like whenever you see a group of people in an anime that are not characters that anyone cares about, it's just whatever faces in whatever bodies that could blend in and be nothing. And then you see the extras here, and it's the same thing. When they go into the the taxi place, and there's like 10 of them, but none of them are memorable. None of their faces <laughs> you'll remember at all. They're just, you know, Asian. Uh, yeah. And if you watch an anime, a lot of those characters, whenever there's a group, uh, you you get the, the main characters who have very detailed faces, and then the other ones are just whatever you know whatever fits would just to make others uh that was really entertaining to watch and then well obviously the the action too uh the uh drama did get a little too cheesy for my liking by the end but uh not nothing that would make me not enjoy it again i think it's part of the the, the same thing as the adr that you kind of expect that Cheesiness from from this type of movie for, Especially from that period So it didn't really bother me at all I, I really enjoyed it And now that you said that thing about the second one uh, Just because it kind of sounds like a shit show uh, it, it I would be interested in watching it Just for that, for that same reason And just to see char Young-Fat being cool as fuck With that party Yeah, eating <laughs> rice that, off that the floor
0: Scooping it up <laughs> off the floor And eating it in a, in a restaurant that is clearly not in New York but Not they get the all. New York, was... <laughs> they get the good B roll over the bridge, and then they just lead into a Chinese, uh, excuse me, Hong Kongese restaurant.
2: <laughs> <clears throat> well, there's that moment at the the end of that scene where Chow Yun Fat has the gun uh, that he. That he has he he shoots one of the Americans in the leg just like what happened to him and then he puts the, his pistol up to the forehead. No no no, no not the him, his brother. The rice. It, it happened oh, yeah, to his, his brother. brother. Yes, his That's, twin excuse brother. Excuse me. Excuse me. He puts the pistol to the, the guy's head and he's like, You're gonna eat the rice and the cop comes in and just goes, Oh gosh. Like <laughs> it's the fucking most bizarre thing. He puts his hands on his hips and goes, Oh again, and he pulls out his <laughs> gun and walks over and points it at Chalion Fat, and the most limp-wrist thing like he's bored with it, he goes, <laughs> put the gun down, you know, you can't just point, and Chalion Fat has his finger on the trigger, and the barrel pressed up against this guy's head like it's pushing the fucking skin, and the cop's just kind of pointing his pistol a little bit, you gotta stop, because Is no. I'll put the gun down when he eats the rice. The cop looks at the guy. Goes well. You better eat that rice, asshole.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is it an Italian Brooklyn accent? Though is it like an Italian? It's the
0: guy from Andy Warhol's Dracula. It's the rapist. It's
2: it's the guy that rapes the fourteen-year-old girl. Um, speaking of anime, about this film is the score, the little harmonica score that's playing the whole time is. I, if if I didn't know that John Woo wrote it with the composer specifically for this film, I would think that they pulled it right out of a slice of life anime from the 1980s. It sounds like any fucking uh, Yu Yu Hakusho moment when they're not fighting or any yeah. Tenshi Muyo moment sitting out, you know, with the. Or yeah. Sailor Moon, any of that oh, shit. It's the finally movie. mentioned
1: one I recognize. <laughs> <more popular> talking <laughs> about.
2: I see Sailor Moon. And he's like, oh yeah, that's the one. I like, I like that one. It sounds like yeah. It, the music, yeah.
1: the music was the, one of the most enjoyable things about the movie. The first, the first song, uh, when the the initial montage uh, showing you know the, the characters, that first song is great. And just how how much it added to the dramatics of the movie just by having that very typical Asian type of music of like kind of rock, but like kind of cheesy at the same time. It was, I really enjoyed that that part about it too.
0: Yeah, it's very melodramatic. Some of the performances are very melodramatic, but it's not not at home with the movie. I think it fits right in with it and adds to its general character. Do you? Uh, I mean, let's let's put those things aside. Obviously, the things that kind of make a better tomorrow in that series, what it is. Uh, did you find that there may be any negative points with this movie?
2: Uh, I mean, if we're if we're gonna be fair, what happens is T uh, Lung gets Lung gets betrayed, or Ho gets betrayed. He goes to prison. That all happens in Taiwan where I'm sure if I'm a native speaker of the language I would have seen or I would have heard them say that but it's never actually clearly shown that hey they go to Taiwan they just they they talk about them going to Taiwan but yeah. you don't realize that he gets in prison in Taiwan and then only does 7 years and then it's sort of he shows up at prison and then he's out of prison already and it's it there's these fa- fade to white, now he's in a different part of Hong Kong. You now quickly he's in a different part of Hong Kong. And there's these moments in between that you you probably don't absolutely need to show, but for somebody coming in, when I obviously don't speak the native language, it's extremely hard to enjoy the pacing of those moments when they're just trying to get you from one spot to another, when it just feels like it either happens instantly or happens and you, you didn't see it happen. Like, you, you're, you're confused in when it's happening.
1: Yeah, the, the character development and all the, the growing that the character does, we we never really see it. It's just all of a sudden he's out of jail and now he's reformed. Mm-hmm. But we never really see him struggle with anything. The only thing they showed in jail, I think, is just him reading letters uh, and then just being, like, calm in prison. But that change that he has from... I mean, even though at the beginning he, he is... Kind of remorseful, like he try. He's kind of trying to get out of the thing, uh, the, yeah. this whole thing that he's doing. But at the same time, uh, by the time that he's out of jail, he's completely reformed and he's like a new person. But you never really see what happens to him for him to get that way. You, you just well, go, uh, that, they just imply that
0: it's it's the act of going to prison itself. You you would assume since he's leaning in that direction anyway, he has the experience with with prison and winds up being kind of inconsequential to the plot. Like, yeah, we might have benefited from seeing the you know the development of that crystallizing into him wanting to go straight once he's out of prison yeah i agree but um you know just in terms of how the movie regulates i don't know if it's really that important
2: well i i think that if they would have just shown it's going to be a little cliche to suggest that scene but if they would have shown something similar to um the a harsh shower or the check-in, the first the first day of showing up to prison, even him walking down the cells and people, you know, reaching through through the bars and yelling or you know throwing piss at him or whatever. Even just that would have been like, yeah, prison fucking sucks. Yeah, I know we know prison sucks, but it's still it's still a film. Yeah. Uh, so
0: the negative point was they're... no rape.
2: <laughs> no rape. Well, no. <laughs> they also uh, one of the problems I have with. A lot of Hong Kong films is random acts of kung Fu where the film isn't a kung Fu movie, and suddenly there's a fucking kung fu fight in the middle of it and so there there's the seed where they're at the mechanic shop that Ho is working at that's his Reformation mechanic shop and an, another problem with no plot and there no development in a character. The old man that runs it is just like a, a father figure completely randomly yeah. almost for no reason. Uh, And the thugs from the gang show up, and they beat the shit out of everybody with fucking kung fu. They have guns and shit, but instead of using the guns, they are fucking kicking and throwing each other around with kung fu. And then the old man's like, no, 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 no. Don't, Don't fight here. Don't fight. And then Chalion Fats, I gotta fucking fight these guys. I gotta earn Chalion Fat. Uh, Chi Lung's like, I gotta fight these oh. guys. Yeah. Beats the shit out of a couple dudes. And the old guy's like, oh, why are you fighting? You can't you can't fight here. You, you're bringing yourself you're reformed, down to their yeah. level. Mm-hmm. You're four. It's yeah, yeah. like, they showed up to fucking kill you, dude. I have to fight them or you die. Like, I, I was, I don't know. That's part of Reformation. If he was a bad guy, he would have just been like, yeah, hey, whatever, old man, fuck you. The reform part is he's stepping in to help a helpless person. But I guess, again, there might be something culturally that I'm missing, where for them, there's this thing where it's like, no, once you take the fucking straight and narrow, you never break off the thing. You never do anything similar again. But I don't know. I I thought that was kind of a weak point. And uh, random acts of kung fu, It it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. I get it. It's China, kung fu. But, I mean, come on.
0: Well, look behind Hans. I mean, all those men seem very peaceful, very at ease. You can't imagine them raising a fist to anyone, right? <laughs>
2: They're killers. Yeah. Look, it's good when it's in a film that's decorated already by kung fu, like Jack a Jackie Chan uh, a film like a police story is decorated with kung fu. Right? It's you're known that the main character does kung fu. If it just happens out of nowhere, you would be annoyed if you were watching fucking Say Anything, and John Cusack <laughs> gets into a fucking fight, you know? It just does it doesn't make, make, make you sense. feel.
1: Does it make you feel kind of racist? Because it's kind of like, well, of course, it's an Asian movie, so of course they know Kung <laughs> Fu.
2: <Yeah, laughs> and then it's, it's, it happens, and they're like, oh,
1: shit, wait. Um, I guess
2: they are no, I have had an inside joke with myself for the last month oh here's some more random acts of kung fu figures Chinese film and every time I say it to myself I go god damn it Jerry you are a straight up racist
0: <laughs> meanwhile <laughs> Jerry's family is just peeking in from the other room seeing him talk to himself laughing to himself. <laughs>
2: Arguing, now, um,
1: having moral conflicts. Just moving, moving away a little bit from from this movie. I I just discovered, never heard of. Oh wait, I think we might have actually talked about this before, but my memory is shit. Broken Arrow. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about that movie before? Hell yeah, we. Give me, give me have... a refresher. Uh, John
2: Travolta, Christian Slater. Oh, Broken Arrow. Okay, yes. The, he has the power of the nukes or something like that. He's gonna launch a nuke We watched off. the trailer He'll on Civic TV. <laughs> From Nevada. Is that it? Yeah. Christian Slater has to stop him. The, that movie is filled with John Travolta one liners, dude. It's so good. That's, he also uh, did
0: uh, he did Wind Talkers, the the army film starring Nicholas yeah. Cage. I did not know that.
2: And I love that movie. I fucking hella love that movie. Wind Talkers is actually really good. Not it's not um one of those films that you're gonna tell, dude, you gotta watch Wind Talkers, bro. Wind Talkers, fucking uh a full metal jacket, bro. You wanna watch a military movie, bro? <sighs> Hamburger Hill? No, nah, watch Wind Talkers. No, it's it's a good movie. I liked it. It fell into
0: a like what? a period of time where I feel like we got a lot of really bland World War Two films, specifically like Wind Talkers. There was one with One that Joel Schumacher directed. And then there was also like We Were Soldiers with Mel Gibson. And they all came out in this short span. Colin Farrell might have been in one too. In this short span of time. And they just all seemed forgettable to me. Like they were trying to bank off of Saving Private Ryan being such a massive hit for that time period.
1: What would you guys say is the best American John Woo movie? Oh, God. Oh. Or, the most in, or the most enjoyable
2: one. I mean, Face-Off. It's going to be
1: Face-Off.
2: Because Mission Impossible 2 is a good movie, right? That's not, it's not at all like a – it doesn't have a so bad it's good type thing. I think it's my favorite Mission Impossible, and it's like the most true kind of to what I imagine a Mission Impossible film should be. But then you get a film like Face-Off where the fucking premise is – out of the fucking world! Like it doesn't make any fucking sense. We got to cut this dude's face off and put it on this dude's face so that he can go into the prison to find another dude to kill. I don't get it. It 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 doesn't make any sense. It's the best movie that's ever been made. There's that moment where Nick, this is goes goes, "They took my face." Off. <laughs> <laughs> It's unbelievably
0: enjoyable. I mean, it took me, I think this year I saw a face off for the first time. I got it at the, the local CVS in a two pack with uh, Brian De Palmer's, I think it was 8mm or Snake Eyes, whatever Nicolas Cage was in. It was a Nicolas Cage double feature. I watched this movie and it was so That's fun insane. to get
2: through. I got that movie in a Nicolas Cage double feature, but it also it came with that and The Rock. Or the two films that it that's
0: explored. a more oh. I feel like that's a more fitting film to go with face off it reminds me a lot of like con air in the late 90s you had these very stupid action films that were like half aware that they're they're stupid like it, it starts to lean into it maybe about like three quarters of the way through production like wow we made a really bad film how about we just how about we just make it kind of deliberate how about we make people think that this was all intentional that's what these movies feel like next
2: thing you'll say you're only pretending to be retarded the movie
1: it's kind of the Nicolas Cage one where he has like a a long
2: long <laughs> yep. hair but, but like whiskey. his hair
1: yeah 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 okay. so like thin. a dirty beard
2: yeah. <laughs> it's like a it's like a working dog really thin long hair it's bad
0: that film uh, I liked it got so much promotion in the late 90s. I remember I would always see giant, I mean, while they were still doing billboards of films in Massachusetts and Boston, you would see Con Air and they would just like leave it up for the year. And I never saw it. And then I finally saw it a couple of years back and it was shockingly enjoyable and fun to watch that movie. It has a stellar cast. It has John Cusack in that as well. Steve Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. As mm-hmm. the uh, pedophile, they try to the get you to roof for rapist. the child <laughs> rapist was playing blackjack at the end of the movie, and everybody's like, "Ha ha, oh, yeah. he got
2: away." I <laughs> did. I didn't catch. I didn't catch that he was a child rapist for. I don't know how, how many times I watched that film because they don't say it. It's it's uh, uh, only alluded to until like the very end, whenever he's sitting at the pool with the with the little girl. I thought he, he was just like a killer guy because he can show him in the cannibal lecture shit. But I guess he's such a notorious child rapist, and if you don't keep him pinned down, he'll just take off and rape a kid. You can't you can't stop him unless he's confined to a fucking stretcher.
0: I haven't seen The Rock. Is The Rock any good? I mean, it made dude, it into the Criterion oh, Collection, so.
2: Holy shit is The fucking Rock good, dude. Holy shit. So the, the whole premise is there's these little green orbs, and it's this chemical weapon, and it can one of these orbs will make your skin boil and all of your fucking blood pop out, and it will fuck you up. And the secret Navy SEAL team that's mad at America has stolen it, and they've gone to Alcatraz, and the only way for the government to stop this from happening is to get the only guy that's ever broken out of Alcatraz, Sean Connery, to break back into Alcatraz, but they have to use their best cop, Nicholas Cage, ah. who happens to be getting married to his pregnant wife soon. And if he dies, it's gonna be really bad. So he they they crawl in through the sewers and shit with another Navy SEAL team. There's a gunfight early on in that film. It's one of my favorite gunfights in any film, and actually, it's such an iconic gunfight that if you start playing uh, Call of Duty Duty games from early on when they get into the modern era, you will start to see that whoever's creating these games also loves the shower gunfight scene because they (laughs) keep putting the fucking prison showers in the fucking movie. Set up almost exactly like that. Not every prison has the exact same shower. This is people directly taking from The Rock and putting that scene. Dude, that movie's so good. Eventually, Nicolas Cage gets poisoned by the fucking green orbs and has to stab himself in the chest with like a uh, uh, six-inch syringe. So someone watched Pulp Fiction right before writing that script. He's just he gets all hyped up and just jams it into his fucking chest and then holds up these flares so that the jets don't shoot him with missiles. Because if he doesn't do all of this at the same time, he'll the whole island will get blown up. It's fucking so good.
0: <laughs> I love the idea of them watching the Mia Wallace overdose scene and thinking, how can we make this even better? How about he stabs himself in the chest? How about that? I love how all these movies take place during inconvenient family matters as well. Like Con Air is like, he's going to get released and see his daughter for the first time. His daughter never visited him in prison. And Face Off <laughs> is like, what is it? Do you guys yeah, remember? His,
2: uh, in Face Off, his something with his daughter, right? He's yeah. having a moment with his daughter early on. Shit, what is it? Oh, no, I'm the thinking- face
1: touch, isn't it? I, I, the face that he recognizes the the That's, daughter, that's not uh, a
0: family yeah. matter. That's that's a personal that's, family that's intimate moment where you touch <laughs> the person's face. <laughs> To so say goodbye. Like, oh, this
1: guy's my dad because he touches my face like my daddy used to. <laughs> That's
2: right. He runs his fingers down. So imagine you got kidnapped and the guy has been screaming at you, I'm your dad. I'm your fucking dad. Look at me. And you're like, you're not my dad. And he goes, yeah, I am. And just rubs your face a little. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, you look completely different.
1: Like everything. Not you're just, you're just your face. You're taller. You're fatter. <laughs> you have fatter fingers but you <laughs> run your fingers down my face like my daddy used to so you're my dad
0: <laughs> that's exactly how that movie works that's the that's the resolve at the end of the movie that's how they identify how john travolta is actually the bad guy it's not him chewing on a toothpick and uh dancing to papa's got a brand new bag being the cool guy being nicholas
2: cage cool around the family yeah You know, like that's like a real cool man would do. There's one of the most disgusting scenes in any fucking movie is the early on in face off John Travolta has what's like a 19 year old girl sitting on his lap and he takes a peach. He's in he's inside of a plane. He takes a peach from the little table that's right there and looks at it and looks at her and goes peach. I could eat a peach for hours, talking about her being like a virgin, and I'm fucking so disgusted even thinking about it. I can't imagine John Travolta doing sex to a 19-year-old girl without actually wanting to die. <laughs> <A
0: woman. laughs> uh oh, Is Face terrible. Off a better John Woo film than A Better
2: Tomorrow? No, well, <laughs> for different reasons, maybe. <laughs> like, A Better Tomorrow is just a genuinely good uh, film. You watch it and you enjoy it. That's the end. I'll go do something else. Face Off is so fucking bad. It's amazing. You watch it and you have to talk about it. So it's, it might be a better film.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Dave Chappelle was in Con Air?
0: Yeah, he dies. He um, falls out of the plane.
1: Whatever happened to Pay... Or with Paycheck that made him go back to... Travolta. China? Oh No, 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 John Woo, because his last American movie is Paycheck, the Ben Affleck
0: one. Oh, that is Ben Affleck. I don't know why I thought that was John Trafalgar. Yeah, he does a a historical epic Han Dynasty film in 2008 and 2009. It's a two-parter, and that just seems to be like the end of John Woo. Well, how old is he by then? He's probably in his late 60s, mid-60s at that point he's yeah. currently about 75 years old. He just kind of hangs out in China after that.
2: Maybe I mean, he just got bored of Hollywood. He's probably made bank. Uh yeah. doesn't it doesn't look like it doesn't look like he's been able to have a career filled with passionate works, you know. And, and you notice after paycheck he wrote and directed a lot of the stuff that he did or produced and directed a lot of the stuff that he he made as opposed to this long run where it's he just directed and then Wind talkers he directed and produced. So I, that that's probably it to say he was probably just fed up with Hollywood made his last few pleasurable products that we you know for him. And then I don't know what else he would have to do.
0: And also we're talking about a specific time period where you have the dark Knight, and you have Iron Man. So the sensibilities of Hollywood shift from let's make, good films into let's make great franchises and somebody like John Woo isn't necessarily going to be a bankable name in that kind of environment so you could easily see him getting weeded out I mean what, what was it uh, that he ended his career on in in the U.S. is paycheck now I paycheck. don't recall paycheck being a monster hit at the box office it's clearly Ben Affleck oh. in 2003 that's Geely. You know he's not yeah. at the height of his career either. He's doing Celebrity Poker Showdown on Bravo, I think, at that same time. So we're talking about not necessarily a bankable star either.
2: Yeah, it, you can. You could probably just assume that it's it's that. I mean, it, I will say, paycheck does look like it made its money back almost probably. Uh, maybe just a little bit under making all of its money back. Oh no! It it, it yeah, million. it actually did
0: fairly well compared to its budget. I just saw that now. Uh well good for, for Ben Affleck who I just talked down and poo-pooed for that whole year. I guess he had one from golf one.
2: But it's it does it is an ex- extraordinarily, extraordinarily low-rated film. Uh and I mean it'd probably be fair to say most people fucking hated it. And I think that if you at any time if you put out a lot of stuff that isn't for you and you get to the point where you're putting out something that is just critically panned. That might kill your... Because even look at the difference between years. You go from 2003, and then he doesn't make another film until 2008, where before he made a film in 19... He made two in 89, one in 90, 91, 92, 93, 96, 97, 2000. His biggest gap comes after Paycheck, you know?
0: Yeah. So he does start to slow down. And I, I mean, it's probably a lot easier for him to make movies in China or Hong Kong or whatever... Without any sort of real studio interference. I feel like if you're a name like John Woo, who put your country on the map, especially during that time, you basically have carte blanche. Now, you might not have the same resources that Hollywood would give you, necessarily. You're not going to get John Travolta for your Han Dynasty film. But he's going to be able to make his movie. And it seems like a better tomorrow is a better encapsulation of his style and maybe what he wanted to do as a filmmaker. Whereas face off is essentially just a giant Hollywood commercial film that is done in a very fun and unconventional manner.
1: Mm -hmm. But do you think that movie would have been good if the actors were not those two? Because I think, I mean, it's interesting enough, but it's mostly their performances that, that drive the movie. I don't. I don't remember the visual style of Face Off being interesting particularly. So it's definitely, or the enjoyable, uh, enjoyable part comes definitely from the two performances that are so over the top and nuts. Yeah. If it wasn't them two, I don't know how successful that movie would have been. Uh, because I, I mean, I, I don't remember, but was that movie seen as like a cool, good movie yes. at the time? At the, at of like, the
0: time, okay. people. Non-ironically thought that was a great movie. I remember it getting really good reviews when it came out. I believe it was a box office hit. So it wasn't until later that people watched it and were like, "This is fucking stupid. This is <laughs> this is really dumb."
1: Yeah, because I I never saw it until like later. I, I never saw it when it was out because I was living here and we all we used to. Like, I'm not not anymore yeah. that much, but we used to get them years and years later. So. I I didn't see it until I had a little bit of more, I guess, knowledge in movies and acting and stuff. And I was always like, "Well, this is a funny movie." Like, for the this record, is entertaining for the wrong reasons. It,
0: it's not only certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes; it has a ninety-two percent. Wow. Yeah. Which okay,
2: the perfect film, very close <laughs> to it. A lot. I mean, a lot of
0: these reviews are older too. From I, I sure. believe the time period. So, yeah. I don't know. There's something about the '90s where this movie made it through. I don't think Con Air got those kind of reviews. I don't know if The Rock did. I know Armageddon probably didn't, but they all belong to this this cluster of right. big budget filmmaking in the in the so late the '90s. Low action movies. Yeah. yeah.
1: What do you guys think would be if you? Because well, I'm a new young Wu person, like I I'm not very familiar with his work. But if if you could give five movies for someone to watch and become familiar with his style and like the type of movie that he makes, what would those be?
2: I mean, I think you'd have to, you'd have to just have somebody watch a better tomorrow face off mission impossible too. I mean, that, that would show you all of it, right? It would show you him at his most dramatic and uh, sensible when he's really putting his own, Ah, uh, creative chops to test. And he's he's trying to find the story, and he's tracking down the best way to tell it. It would show you whenever he's given somebody else's story, and they they said, "Hey, this is a serious property. We want you to uh, uh, work really hard on it." In In Mission Impossible Two, and then you can see what happens when they say there's really no limit to how much money you can spend, or what you can do. Just make sure John Travolta and Nicolas Cage are in frame as much as possible. And uh, like it really does, it really does encapsulate the whole range of his abilities. It might not have all the gunfights that you know you come to expect, right. especially in like Broken Arrow and shit. But I think those three films uh, would do enough. Do you think that The Killer is overrated? No, I don't think The Killer is overrated. It's really good. It's just like a that's an entry level or not an entry level. That's a film that has a different. Like entry curve. If you're really gonna be just sitting around to enjoy some cinema, you know, some some movies, the, those three films are just fine. But I think The Killer is a little bit harder for the average film fan
0: because I know I think that was probably that and hard boiled were to my recollection anyway the big John Woo films of like the 90s, where uh, you know if you were dabbling into that territory of film uh, those were probably the movies you were going to pick up at the video store during that time and i know those have probably been mentioned the most by uh just directors and film critics in, in general i mean uh, obviously a better tomorrow definitely has its own thing going for it but it for the, from my perception anyway it seemed like the spotlight was always on those two films
2: yeah I, I i mean i don't i don't disagree there's there's uh i think more attention paid to the sort of over the top action that are brought in part like especially with something like uh the killers or the the killer um that a lot of people were interested in at the time i don't necessarily think that they are the his best works. I I genuinely think that a better tomorrow is a significantly better film because it it doesn't have that watered down overaction because that's what I feel like a lot of it ends up being is sort of action for the sake of action rather than having moments get ramped up in their drama because of the action.
0: Where do you think that John Woo stands among the other? I guess you would call them uh, martial arts directors of that time period, and I guess specifically the big one would probably be Jackie Chan, being uh, uh, top of the heat, or
2: uh, Jet Li. Was was he directing? I don't think he was directing until uh, with maybe until like the later? last fifteen years. Yeah, the one did
1: not he direct the one? Maybe That movies. Good question. Movie's awesome, by the way. <laughs> that movies awesome for again for the. Maybe not the reasons, he, no, he didn't. The reason that is intended, but just because of how cheesy and, and just off of that time it is, just early 2000s, just dumb action and him fighting against himself. Uh, I remember enjoying that a lot when I was younger, but yeah, I don't think he's directed.
0: No, I don't much. think so either. No. Uh, I just found out here, though, they were going to do a remake of The Killer that was supposed to star Richard Gere. And Denzel Washington as well. What? Yeah, I don't I don't <laughs> see that at all. I can't imagine
2: that. It sounds like a prank. It sounds like a like one of those uh fake movies that people people used to I don't know if you used to go onto message boards back in two thousand five, two thousand six, but people would post, Oh, there's a there's a new movie coming out. It's got they would just put two completely random actors together in a really grainy shitty photoshop looks like one of your uncle's political posts on facebook you can't see the fucking image at all and it would just that, be a fake movie coming out
1: that just sounds like people trying to bank on lethal weapon where it's just two cops one right. of them is white, black one of them is white and that movie that was really after well, so.
0: two two verifiable hits in lethal weapon that would have made sense but richard Gere it's just kind of i mean aside <laughs> from one or two films he's just a void of charisma you know? He was like, Oh, you like the handsome actor your mom likes. <laughs> and that's that's about I, it. He didn't really ever have a personality.
1: I I like him in Mothman Prophecies. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. That movie's kind of creepy, kind of. Yeah, Jake Hanrahan just also. tweeted
0: about that and was complaining about Michael Douglas in that movie, and then <laughs> had to correct himself that it was actually Richard Gere. That's how forgettable Richard Gere, Richard yeah. Gere is. <laughs> i'll tell you what i used to make that mistake all the time when i was a kid i would just see uh you know mildly older white guy with gray hair and go oh that's that guy and then confuse those two wall street and american gigolo same pretty woman
2: same same guy uh like two weeks ago fucking alex trebek died and i remember from my fiance's like here alex trebek died and i was like that was fucking forever ago he had like pancreatic cancer or some shit <laughs> She's what? Like, yeah, there was a whole thing. Like, I'm sure Kirk Cameron was sad or some shit. Are you, are you talking about Alan Thick? Like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> they're different people. Okay, Alan Thick is dead too. Did you know that? She just leave me alone and left the house <laughs> forever. I haven't seen her since.
0: Wow. Alan Fick is is far less accomplished than uh, Alex Trebek, though I would say Ma- eh, maybe I don't know game maybe. show host versus growing pains. What do you think, Hans?
1: I think I know he, you're a big uh, Thicke head, so I, mean, I am a big. <laughs> yeah, he's. I'm a big fan of his son and his music videos. It's very, that's his son, right? Yeah.
0: No, he right. that is right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I can't even
1: believe. I don't even know. That. I don't even know what Alan.
0: They ever did, to be honest. I've never seen pain. He was dead on growing pains. He always seemed very yeah. smug on that show. Like yeah. he knew something that you didn't know and looked at you as an idiot because of it.
2: I thought that was the point, right? The dad was actually a mentally abusive asshole. You just they didn't address it. I thought that was the point of the show. That's the growing pains, is that <laughs> your dad will sometimes come in and sit down and tell you how much of a disappointment you are, even though you haven't done anything. <laughs> So I yeah, thought no, it, part... never was it, no it, I... was, it
0: was that the dad was a militant atheist and he always just talked down to Kirk Cameron, Cam... which is his name, Mike Seaver yeah. when the cameras <laughs> yeah, were yeah. down. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: I wanted to bring this up. So uh, back to a better tomorrow, Kit, the little brother Kit, uh, the actor, Lin- Leslie Chung. How I mentioned that he was a huge Chinese pop star at the time. He was also one of the, uh, or I guess, I guess you would say, uh, Cantonese pop stars. Uh, he was also one of the first, like, Hong Kong Chinese celebrities to be openly gay in the pop industry, entertainment industry, and was is considered a quote unquote gay icon. And to follow up on that dude's story is he jumped off the top of a building in the early two thousands to commit suicide.
0: So a happy ending to his career for, yeah, for the country up, of China.
2: It ended up being a happy ending. Yeah, 2003.
0: Well, he, how he about on, on, a, on a similar note, uh, you know, I told I told I was going to sit down and watch this movie. I told my girlfriend, oh, we're going to watch a Stephen Chow movie. Stephen Chow is the star of this movie, A Better Tomorrow. From, I think, Shaolin Soccer. Isn't that one of your okay. movies, Hans? Yeah. 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 So I, I was I was like, wait a minute. This, this is not Stephen Chow. But as it turns out, I was right. Now, see, Stephen Chow is in this movie. He plays Taiwanese triad in an uncredited role.
2: Oh, shit, he oh. does. He fucking Man. does. <laughs> how, how did he accidentally figure that out?
0: I don't know. <laughs> It was it was a great comeuppance, though, to be proven correct after feeling like I had been uh, completely defeated. What's a hey? What's a good American movie to pair with a Better Tomorrow?
2: Oh shit! Uh, you know any? Like we mentioned, the Lethal Weapon. The first first two Lethal Weapons kind of have a similar thing going on. Uh, I actually, I'm not gonna lie. I watched a video essay on Serpico immediately after finishing A Better Tomorrow. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It It felt fine. I didn't feel like I switched genres. You know, when you watch one thing and then you watch them completely different. It felt like this a uh, similar vibe for some reason. I think the kind of like seedy underbelly of a city uh, is like any any film with that sort of aesthetic because – like you were discussing in uh, A Better Tomorrow 2, it will show you B-roll of Hong Kong, and it will look cool. It will show some rich, you know, people or some, you know, well-off people, like, walking and then cut to fucking Chow Yun-Fat with only one leg drinking himself into a stupor in a in a fucking, you know, nightclub or whatever, like, the juxtaposition of the two, and the seedy underbelly thing. Yeah, anything like that, you know? Uh, Hans, I know you
0: watched this movie even though it's now the last episode of the show. What do you think about something like Fear City? Fear City where you have Tom Beringer and Billy D. Williams and they're not exactly like partners. They're kinda of on opposing ends but working toward the same goal. Uh,
1: yeah, I guess you, you get a lot of the, uh it's very New York and this movie it's very specific of where it is too. Right. But I, uh, g- so I guess
0: I-, I guess with with just like the general look of everything too it it feels like you could pair it with a gritty New York film from the late yeah. '80s.
1: I could see that. Yeah i i was I was reading up a little bit about his death, uh, because of course. What the uh, gay man? Yes, twenty uh, fourth oh. floor. That's that's brave. Yeah, that's, yeah. Conventional. That's, like, that's he why I said the top
2: because it was way up there.
0: You don't want to leave it to chance.
1: Wanted, yeah, <laughs> he just wanted to splatter himself on the ground twenty. 24- Fourth floor, and he was forty six. Yeah, so just we because s- everyone was mean about about him being gay. And Everybody picked depressed. on him every day. That's
2: Not at all. Hans has no idea how <laughs> clinical depression works at all. You're, uh, so like an actu- an yeah like an actual fucking smooth brain. Uh, yeah, uh, what, what, we like, were, what we were what we were saying now. what we <laughs> were saying about films being about the seedy underbelly and being like kind of relative is it actually what I'm reading here is that. Uh, there's a direct homage to Mean Streets, uh, using the intro of the diner, and I think it's a Better Tomorrow too. Is the moment that this is talking about, not a Better Tomorrow, which <clears throat> I would say, yeah, this is sort of like a a Scorsese esque um, Hong Kong film. Like a dude from Hong Kong was like, I like Martin Scorsese, I could make something kind of similar, and not maybe not directly, but you can you can taste the flavor.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that assessment. Uh and, and the reason why I thought of Fear City is it I mean, Abel Ferrer and Martin Scorsese have a pretty similar aesthetic. I think Abel Ferrer stuck with the whole grit of New York longer than Scorsese. Scorsese kinda went commercial as soon as he got uh taxi driver and raging bull out of the way. We saw I think around the same time was uh, the color of money with Paul Newman and, and Tom Cruise. So he was exploring more at that time. And something like Fear City feels like a more comedic, less polished Scorsese film, I would say. Um, or like China Girl or or Year of the Dragon or any other movie with with some some Asians in it, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyhow, A Better Tomorrow. Uh, what else can be said about this film before we close out our, our program tonight on the career of John Woo?
2: Oh, I mean uh i think there's also an indian version of this film like an indian remake of this film and i don't know i don't know how which end of the spectrum it might go as far as indian films if we're talking about the base is a john woo film and then inserted into india indian uh um film practices, filmmaking practices and stylizations. This could go either way. It could be the most dramatic, uh over-the-top soap opera style film of all time, or it could have a dude, you know, uh punching a, a truck out of midair and then pulling out two fucking M40s, like shooting grenades and then kicking the grenades or whatever. It could be all kinds of amazing things. I'm gonna have to check this out.
0: I would be very very curious to see that. I know I, I watched the Indian version of Nicholas Winding Refn's Pusher, which if you've seen Pusher that ends with the lead character kind of succumbing to his own greed and he's about to deliver the money that he needs uh to his his boss, the guy who's uh you know supplying him with drugs to sell on the street because he loses some and they're going to kill him anyway. He's he's making a big mistake. In the Indian version, what happens is the lead character, who has been a complete fuck up, winds up seeing God, and then becomes a badass and just starts killing all the bad guys. Holy shit! It's a, it's a very uh very different ending, but otherwise, well, same film.
1: It seems to be a. It's not only an Indian remake; it's a Bollywood movie. So, oh, you know, no. it's a, oh, oh yeah. The yeah there's so there's there, going to be a could musical be all kinds number kinds too. Of
2: fun stuff in there, and then Sorry. also.
1: Sanjay Dutt. Are you familiar with Sanjay Dutt? He's a big star. Actor. No, yeah,
0: I'm, a, I'm everybody's a fan of Sanjay Dutt.
2: You don't know Sanjay like Gupta? <laughs> he's fucking.
0: You saw oh, him no, on I, CNN? That's the
2: director. That's the director of this. How do you know? I'm completely. just not the doctor.
1: not the doctor. It's just not the, <laughs> <laughs> just not the same name. Wasn't but that the guy Robbie
0: that. was getting mad about on American Idol yesterday? No.
1: It's, it's, <laughs> no, San, Sanjay Gupta? Yeah. Uh, this one, uh, it says. These two brothers live in a shanty house with their widowed mother. Mother. Whoa, whoa, uh, hold and, on!
0: What are you doing? Uh, an old New York accent? Was that 1920s hey, Brooklyn boy? They okay, got a withered doozy.
2: Yeah. What bit, are you doing? Bit. And then it says
1: <laughs> when a stalker attempts to rape their mother, he one of them knives him to death, and then the three, along with an orphan, take shelter in an underworld done with an underworld. So it just sounds like. Like an over the top Bollywood movie, and I'm kind of really interested in watching it just because of like the, you know, difference between that and the the original movie, and have, like just to see, you know, how wild this apparently it made 123 million Holy in whatever huge thing, much is bigger than million. the original. Do- Holy shit! Do- no, no, but like not dollars. Like dollars is only four. Um, but yeah, it sounds, sounds, sounds really interesting. The poster is great, but sorry, I didn't mean to cut you up.
0: What is the name of this movie? It's
1: I, I, I Ad- Ad-
2: Ad- feel the Ad- fire. <laughs> feel the fire. That's so good. Uh, fire. Sanjaya Gupta, Sanjay Dut, Aditya Pancholi, Ravina Tandon. These are all iconic names, dude. Everybody uh, knows these guys.
0: I think this movie is on YouTube. So, right, so if we ever want to do a follow-up, <laughs> yeah, Civic TV, we'll, <laughs> we'll start getting into the Indian market. You know, there are a lot of Indians on my Facebook page. We could actually do this and have a real audience to it. I, I guarantee you that.
2: You bring that up. I have noticed a lot of Indians coming through from, to the Headshot page yeah. as of recently. It's interesting. You got a big uh, uh, Sri Lankan following. The
1: only person from Sri Lanka that I've ever met was this guy in, in college when I first got to Canada, and I was 19, I think. I was put into a, um, like, what, I don't know what it's called, like the drawing classes when you're drawing someone naked in front art of you. class. But, like, live, new, whatever. It was a new drawing
0: Thing. Your teacher got mm-hmm. naked in art class, yeah. it, Hans. It you got home. molested. I'm sorry, no, you got molested multiple times, so, Hans.
1: That
2: was great,
1: right, man. The worst thing about it was that I guess the teacher was really nice, so he would bring homeless people to pose, and, <laughs> oh, no. and I was naked homeless at least, or at least homeless-looking. Like I remember one guy that had like a walking stick, and he was all raggedy and shit, and then he took off his clothes, and he had like that. Christ's body after he's been beaten up uh, <laughs> and uh and uh one of my friends I had a I had like a one of them was Indian or some Pakistani or something like that and the other one was from Sri Lanka and they were sitting on each side of me and I was 18 19 more immature than I am now and I could not not laugh because of how they were posing and that Sri Lanka guy would always just react with a uh Every time they got would pose or like his balls will be hanging on his belly and shit, and I, I got reprimanded like three or four times. Not directly, but the teacher would be like, "Come on, um, to keep it professional or whatever." And I was just dying, trying not to laugh because of these <laughs> motherfuckers on my side that we were reacting to what we were seeing. Yeah.
2: So Han's story was one time in college he got in trouble for laughing at Indian people. Was it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, something like that. Well, uh, Better Tomorrow was certainly a quality film. There's uh, quite a bit of creativity injected in the cinematography and choreography of this film. I noticed that it seems like it takes maybe 40 minutes to really rev up and come into itself as a visual feature. Now, you start off with like a decent semi montage with uh, Mark. The Chow Young Fat character and the counterfeiting, and that feels a bit like "To Live and Die in L.A." Just a bit, and then it, it hits a bit of a low, I would say, around like the twenty-minute mark, right after the assassination of uh, the father, and it picks up maybe about fifty or sixty minutes into the film, where it becomes a much more fast-paced interesting spectacle than where we were at in the middle of the movie certainly uh certainly a good pick and the the sequel is a fun watch as well i
2: would say yeah i agree plus, plus it has that ending uh shootout which is like one of the fucking best shootouts ever filmed
0: yeah hans what, what would scary. you what
1: would it's you say like it made me feel like whenever I would be playing grab photo and there's like twenty people and you just shoot all of them yeah, and you just kill yeah. all of them without <laughs> with barely aiming you just kill them because you're shooting so many bullets uh yeah I, I i would definitely recommend for anyone that's into action uh and this type of i I guess you can't really call them kung fu movies, but they are ish um. I, I thought the dramatic parts were enjoyable, uh, even if it was kind of cheesy at the same time. Uh, it's part of the whole packet, so uh, it's definitely one that I would recommend for anyone that's into that type of
2: thing to, to watch. So you didn't like it? Yeah, that's fine. So it gets a pass from Hans.
1: <laughs> yeah. It gets a two out of
2: five, I think. <laughs> All right,
1: well,
0: uh, Jerry, why don't you give your socials real quick?
2: Yeah, uh, follow me at uh, mulatto underscore Jesus on Twitter, mulatto Jesus on Instagram. Oh, shit. Bloom online on Twitch.tv. That's the actual important one. I should just lead off with that one and not do the other ones. Do the one that's my job. The one (laughs) you don't
0: have to change in six months.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Great. And uh you can check us out on C- I have I I should throw an episode into the RSS feed of Civic TV. Uh this is a show we do on twitch.tv slash headshot LLC. Every Tuesday night we just watched Roger Corman's Fantastic Four this past week, a a quality program. I highly recommend it. Hans, would you recommend it?
2: Yes. Jerry, would you recommend it? Yes. It's
1: a lot of fun. <laughs> We're good at selling. (laughs) (laughs) Please watch. Come have fun with us. It's fun. You can't see I'm holding up
0: (laughs) cue cards to both of them to, to say the lines. So, all right, that's been movies for this week. Thank you for listening.